Well, good morning, Fox Valley Church. As I said earlier, my name is Adam Vietmeyer. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, I'm just so thankful and excited to be here with you this morning and actually get to be with you for my first series. We're going to be together for four weeks. And I am really excited about this. I've been praying about this for some time. And God has answered that prayer. And I just want to thank Pastor Tom and the Pastoral Council for giving me this opportunity. This is not something I take lightly. Delivering the Word of God, there's a weight to it. There's a responsibility to it. And I take that seriously. And I'm excited to be with you and be a part of that. And part of the reason I'm up here is because I've had the opportunity to bring God's Word to our students over the last few years. Uh, I've led winter retreat at our student youth retreats over these past three years, and those have just been such a gift and encouragement to me. You should be encouraged, church, by our students. We have amazing students at our church. I can't tell you how excited and encouraged I am by them, by their worship, by the way they study God's Word, the questions that they ask, the way they dig in. Pastor Tom talks about this all the time. God is raising up a generation that will meet the needs of the current culture and the questions that will come. And he's doing it right here at Fox Valley Church. It's happening. And I'm so thankful for our youth and for the leaders that serve there. And it's been my privilege to be a part of that. And now it's my privilege to be here with you. The message that we're going to get into, the series is called Made New. I brought this to our students in February. And we were praying and trying to think about things to share. And this idea of newness, right? That God, we were once old and then God made us new. That was what was coming to mind. Now, some of you might be concerned. You're like, wait, this is a message you gave to the students. Will there be meat? And there will. Trust me. When I teach our students, I give them meat. I don't give them milk. I'm there to challenge them with depth and theology and scripture. And I'll do the same with you over these next four weeks. So I'm asking you to dial in with me. Now, new. New means having recently come into existence, being other than old, made or become fresh. So it made me think, I like new things. What I like is there's all sorts of types of new. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Like there's new stage new, right? Where you get your driver's license for the first time and you're at this new stage of life. Or when we had our first baby, I remember when we had Mia and my wife and I are standing there looking at her like, oh my goodness, this is new, right? Are we ready for this new, right? There's change of perspective new. Gentlemen, do you remember what you thought about girls when you were six years old? Now, do you remember what you thought about girls when you were 16? Somewhere in there, it became new, right? Something changed. I remember that where I looked at girls in a whole new way. I was like, oh, this is new. This is different, (laughs) right? I think my favorite type of new is anticipation new. Anticipation new. So, you don't have to know me long to know that Back to the Future is my favorite movie of all time. It typically comes out in conversation quickly when I'm talking with people. Now, I was too young to see Back to the Future in the theater. It was 1985. It's the summer I turned five years old. But Back to the Future 2 came out in 1989, and I was ready. I was ready. And I remember standing in line outside the Lindo Theater, because back then you didn't buy tickets ahead of time, and you didn't know if you were going to get in, and we made it. We got in, there was enough seats, but I'm pretty sure I had to sit on someone's lap and look way up at the screen, but I was so excited. That anticipation knew, right? But you know who loves new things more than I do? God does. 
God loves new things more than any of us do. Let this blow your mind for a second. God is the only thing that has never been new. Think about that. He's the only thing that's always been. He invented new. He created new. And he loves to do new things. We see that all throughout his word, right? Creating, changing things, restoring things, making things new. And make no mistake, he wants to do new things here this morning. He wants to do new things this month in Fox Valley Church. In you as individuals and us collectively. Let's pray. Father, pour your spirit out. That's what we're asking for. This morning, give us ears to hear, hearts to listen. This month, Lord, that we would be sensitive to your spirit and everything you're guiding us to do. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Now you see the graphic there, May New. By the way, our graphic or tech artist or whatever your title is, Emily, created that. Isn't that awesome? Can we give Emily a round of applause? That's so cool. Yep. She created that for the students. I remember looking at that thinking, that's perfect. What a perfect picture, right, of what God does, which we'll get to. But I want to give you a synopsis of what we're looking at here over our four weeks, so you guys have a little bit of a heads up. There's four things that we're going to be looking at today. What does it mean to be a new creation? What does it mean to be a new creation? Weeks two and three, what do new creations do? New creations put off the old self, and they put on the new self. And finally, in week four, what do new creations accomplish? That's where we're going. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5, if you would. Okay, I'll be honest with you. I was considering giving you a whole section of Scripture here. 2 Corinthians is a bit of a complicated book. Paul had a complicated relationship with the Corinthian church, and it's one of his most emotional letters. So we're actually boiling it down to one verse. It's 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That's it. If we could boil down our four weeks together, it would be that verse. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Four weeks is not enough. That verse has so much richness in it, we could spend a year, maybe two years of weekends going through that over and over again, everything that's entailed in there. So I have to be, give you a confession, I guess. I can't do this exhaustively. I can't cover everything that's in this verse. I had to pray and ask that God would guide me toward what the students need to hear, and I have prayed and asked him to guide me toward what you need to hear over these next four weeks So dial in here with me. The first phrase, in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Just that phrase alone holds so much weight. So much weight. But I need to sum up something here at the beginning. When Paul says in Christ here, he means he's talking to believers. You can't be in Christ and not be a new creation. You can't be a new creation and not be in Christ. They are synonymous with one another. They go hand in hand. He's talking to believers. There's an important point there. Because new creations are truly new creations. The reason I bring this up early right now is because it'd be very easy for me to continue on in our next four weeks pretending that we're all new creations. That would be naive. 
that would be foolish on my part. In a group this size, and with everyone watching online, we're not all new creations here. Now, I don't say that because of some special insight. I say that because it's a narrow road, right? Now, there might be some of you here this morning that said, you're right. I openly admit, I don't believe this stuff. And I want to say, I'm thankful you're here. I'm thankful you're here, and I pray that you have ears to listen. There are others of you here who think you're new creations and you're not. Let me make that more clear. There are people here that if you died today, you think you're going to heaven and you aren't. You need to listen to what God has for you here. I am praying that God would open up your eyes to what true, authentic faith is. Faith is more than just believing facts about who Jesus is. That's not authentic faith. Faith is deeper than that, and we're going to get into it. And then there are those of you here who are new creations. You have been made new, and I'm glad you're here because I am here to stoke your fire for mission on what God has for you and to bring you to an increased level of temperature so that God can carry you forth into our communities and into our world. So, the last thing I'll say on that point, none of us are here by accident, okay? None of us are here by accident. God has each and every one of us here for a purpose. He's got something to say to each and every one of us. Let's be attentive to that. Okay, so why does a creator create? If you're a new creation, that means you're created. So why does a creator create? Well, a creator creates with a purpose, right? Thomas Edison invented the light bulb because he wanted to find a cheaper way to light a house. Dr. Emmett Brown invented the time machine because he wanted to travel through time. <laughs> you wanted to do something. You want your creation to do something. In Genesis 1, we learn that God created us in his image. But why? Why did he create us? Isaiah 43, 6 and 7 says this, "'Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth.'" Everyone who is created, called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Do you know what God loves most? I'm serious. I don't think we ask this question enough. Do you know what God loves more than anything else? Himself. Himself. Nothing is higher in God's affections than himself. Jeremiah 13, 11. For as a belt is bound around a man's waist, so I bound the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to me, declares the Lord, to be my people for my renown, praise, and honor. Why did God save the Israelites at the Red Sea? It says he saved them for his name's sake, to make his power known. Proverbs 16, 4 says the Lord works out everything for his own ends, even the wicked for the day of disaster. And even as Jesus went to the cross, what did he pray? John 17, 1. Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Nothing is higher in God's affections than himself. He is not a violator of the first commandment. God is not an idol worshiper. He has created all things for his glory, including us. And that's what he wants from us. The utmost of affections he should be the highest in our affections too. That's why we were made. It's the end for which God created the world. Now, I told you we're going to eat meat, right? We're 12 minutes into our first time together, and I'm talking about the point of all things, right? This is why we exist. This is why you're here. 
This is what humans are made to do. The Westminster Catechism says it like this, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, some of you here are saying, wait a second, doesn't that sound selfish? It sounds like God is just all about God, right? And you know what? In one sense, you're right. In one sense, you're right. Exodus 34 teaches us that God is a jealous God. Psalm 42, eight, I'm sorry, Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. But it's not in the way that we understand selfishness. If I'm selfish, I want what I want at your expense. I don't care what happens to you. I just want what I want. That's not so with God. John Piper puts it like this. God is the one being in the universe for whom self-exaltation is not the act of a needy ego, but an act of infinite giving. The reason God seeks our praise is not because he won't be fully God until he gets it, but because we won't be fully happy until we give it. God wanting you to love him above all things is not to your detriment. It's for your good. It's what you were created to do. It's why you were made. It's rightly placed affections. Now, you have to understand, this does not diminish God's love for you. It increases it. Some of you understand this from relationship. Let me make this clear. Single ladies, if there are single ladies here, you want to find a good man? Find someone who loves Jesus more than he loves you. Find someone who loves Jesus more than he loves you. Why? Because you will have found a man who loves you more than just for your body. He loves you more for than, than your personality. He will care them more than your temporal happiness. He'll care for your soul. He will love you in deeper ways than a man who doesn't know the Lord ever could. It expands our love when we love God first. When he is rightfully placed at the highest of our affections, it expands our capacity to love others and do more. So, it's why you were made. New creations live for the glory of God above all things. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says it like this, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It's what you're supposed to do with all things. Now, I'll say this, I always enjoyed teachers that gave answers to the test ahead of time. I like teachers that don't play games, right? If you want me to learn this, just tell me what you want me to learn, and I'll learn it, right? So, here it is. This is what I want you to learn in the four weeks. It comes actually two verses earlier than the verse I gave you. It's 2 Corinthians 5.15. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says this, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. That's the point. I'm not hiding anything from you these four weeks. That's my goal. It's not my goal. It's God's goal. This is the point. This is why Jesus went to the cross for you, so that you wouldn't live for yourself anymore, but that you live for him. This is the point. It's why you were created. His glory above all things. It's the reason we exist. Now, who gets credit for creation? Who gets credit for creation? 
There's a beautiful passage in John 3. Pastor Brad took us through this several months ago. In John 3, this is Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, which means a Jewish leader of the day. And Jesus tells him, no one will see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And Nicodemus is confused. He's like, what are you talking about? Born again? I'm a grown man. How does this work? I don't know. Nicodemus, again, is thinking about things in a temporal manner. Physical, right? And Jesus is talking to him about spiritual things. And Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. Do you know what he's describing there? It's called regeneration. Regeneration. It's God imparting spiritual life to us. He does this. He imparts spiritual life to us. How much credit do you take for your first birth? Right? I can picture some of you, right? Like, oh, I want to be tall. I want to have good hair. Maybe this couple looks good, right? Obviously, I made a mistake with the hair choice, right? Right. (laughs) Right? How much credit do you take for your first birth? None. Of course not, right? Now, how much credit do you take for your second? How much credit do you take for your second birth? None. None. He chose us. He chose us. 2 Thessalonians says this, From the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I can't leave Ephesians out here. Ephesians 1, 4, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Verse 11 says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. He chose you. Now, why did he choose you? Did he choose Brad because Brad's really personable, a really nice guy? Did he choose Kate because Kate has a great voice? No. No. Titus 3.5 says he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Mercy. Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. It's a punishment that is deserved and is instead withheld. His mercy. There's no credit to be taken here. There's no credit. Romans 9.16 says this, It does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Now listen, does that cause you to ask some deep theological questions? It should. It should. And one thing I always teach our students is, don't run away from deep theological questions. He can handle it. Run to it. Run to it. I use the hot fudge sundae analogy. You ever get one of those old hot fudge sundae in the big glass vase or whatever you call them? Sometimes to get that really rich hot fudge, you got to dig. You got to dig in there. Dig. Dig in here. There is rich truth in the deep theology of God. Don't eat the whipped cream at the top all the time. Get into it, right? But your first question or your first response to that should not be deep theological questions. Your first response to what I just told you should be gratitude. Gratitude is the proper first response to what I just shared with you. Because why? Because he didn't save you because there's anything special about you. He saved you because of his mercy. Fall on your knees, Christian, and thank him, right? 
the God of all things chose you, not because there's anything special about you, but because he loved you enough to show you his mercy. All praise and honor and glory go to him. So, new creations recognize that we are saved because of his great love, mercy, and grace. His great love, mercy, and grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's a gift you don't deserve, and he gave it to you. Now, I will take the time to venture into one deep question. One. One question that naturally comes up when I told you everything I just told you is, was it luck? Was it luck? Did God simply think, okay, I'm going to create several billion people, I'll randomly just choose some for me? No. No, it was not luck. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He chose to bestow his grace and mercy on you before the beginning of time. 2 Timothy 1.9 says it like this, God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Do you know what that verse tells me? There's a couple things. The first I take from that verse, Jesus was never plan B. Beware of poor theology that paints Jesus out to be plan B. Nothing shows God's glory more clearly than Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. That is not a backup plan. That was the plan. God was not surprised by creation and Adam and Eve's sin, and then he had to come up with some new plan. That's not the God we know. We know the God who knows the beginning from the end. Jesus was always the plan. But here's the other thing that verse tells me. You weren't plan B either. You weren't plan B either. Before the beginning of time, he chose to bestow his grace and mercy upon you. How incredible is that? You're not plan B. He chose to write you into his story. How beautiful is that? Now, this is a heavy one, but I'm going to go there. This is hard to understand, but I'll try to do my best. There's no story better than this. Do you understand that? Do you understand that there's no story better than the one he's been writing? Now, some of you are looking at me and saying, what are you talking about, Adam? I could write a better story. I could write a story without pain and suffering and hurt and death. Ah, but who are you writing the story for? Are you writing the story for you? Are you writing the story for humanity? He is writing a story for his glory. He is writing a story for his glory. My daughter Mia and I recently took a writing class together. The first class, the first class the teacher said this. She said, every great author writes the story in such a way to show you, to show you the glory of their character. They don't tell you about the character. God didn't write a story and tell us and say, hey, I'm compassionate, I'm loving, I'm gracious, I'm full of mercy. No, he wrote a story to show those things. The darkness 
helps us see the light. Do you understand that? There is a purpose to it. There is a reason for it. As new creations focus our, our focus, our attention, and our eyes on Him, the light shines so much brighter in the midst of the darkness. Do you understand that? How do you understand the wonders of forgiveness without having something to be forgiven for? How do you understand the wonder of His pleasures without experiencing a measure of the pain? There is a point to it, and it's not to be missed. Think about all the things He showed us, His redemption and restoration, in hope and healing, in comfort and compassion, boundless amounts of mercy and grace bestowed upon us over and over again. All of those things point to how glorious He is. There's a purpose to it. He's writing a story to show Himself glorious. That's what He's doing. And our focus is to be on Him. But do you understand what He's doing at the end of the story? Do you know what He's doing at the end? He's making all things new. He's making all things new. I told you he loves new. What do you think he's doing at the end? He's making it new. He's doing a new thing. And guess what? That story that all of us want written, the one without pain, the one without suffering and hope, he wrote it. No more pain, suffering, death. No more cancer. No more COVID death. No more leukemia, no more miscarriages, no more stillbirth, no more divorce, no more abuse, no more brokenness. It's done. He wrote the story. He wrote the story we all want to hear, and it's coming. It's coming for those of us that have been made new. It's our hope and what we look for, and that's not the best part. That's not the best part. We will be restored with those we've lost before. Grandparents that were made new, parents that were made new, children that we've lost, spouses that we've lost, reunited to live in eternity with Him without pain and suffering and hope. I'm sorry, with hope. Without pain and suffering. All gone. I'm going to ask the band to come out here before I get to ask him, because I'm just going to keep going if I don't ask him. Um, so Brad, if you hear me, you guys can come out when you're ready. It's still not the best part. I saved the best for last. Do you know what the best part of that new heavens and new earth is? Do you know what the very best part of it is? It's him. It's him. The very best part is him, where we will see him face to face, not in some reflection dimly anymore, face to face in all of his glory, uninhibited, unrestrained, unreleased, pouring over us for all eternity, together. Do you know what I call that place? Do you know what new creations call that place? I call it home. Home. And it's coming for those of us that have been made new. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Amen.